uh, before Father's Day, I did a, a, a sermon. We started talking about the roles of the husband and wife. And so really and truly, this is just a continuation of that. We're in this series called Marriage Matters. And we're looking at this issue of understanding our roles or understanding your roles. And so we're not going to use, we're going to use a model in scriptures, Abraham and Sarah, and their life and how they led through this time or how they developed their their different roles and how they lived out Ephesians and lived out the scriptures. In Genesis chapter 2, when God was in creation, God told Adam this. God told Adam that I am going to make a helper suitable for you. Now, that word suitable for you was someone the exact opposite of you. In other words, there's distinctive roles, right? We get that. Hopefully we understand that, that there are distinctive roles in relationships. There's distinctive roles in in marriage. And so God told Adam that I'm going to make a helper suitable for you, someone that is not exactly like you, someone that's opposite of you, someone that is different than you. And so studies show, and we know this, that men and women are different. Men and women are different physically, and men and women are different emotionally. Fact is, studies tell us that Women speak, on average, 50,000 words per day. Men, what studies tell us, speak only 25,000 words per day. And so the problem is, is when you get home in the evenings, uh, the man only has like 10 words left, and, and the wife has like 1,000 words that she just needs to get out. And I mean, right? Are you with me? And so the scripture talks about that we're, we're, we're different. And Ephesians 5 tells us. And so we'll be in Genesis chapter 12, 12, Ephesians chapter 5. But it tells us that we have distinctive roles and we're different. And we know that in studies. Studies have been uh, going on for a long time and proven what the scripture says. Uh, so when you look at, at the development of male and female in the womb, the female's left hemisphere of her brain develops faster and is larger than the, the male. And so that's where you get your verbal skills from. And so the male uh, in the womb, the right hemisphere of his brain develops faster and quicker. And so that's where you get your, vis- uh, the, your uh, visual abilities. And so when you look at differences, you start seeing that, that, that men are, are generally get their self-esteem from their careers and from their professions. Women generally get their self-esteem from the family or from their home. Men see shopping as a, as a task to be accomplished, Right? We know what we want, we get it, we go in, we kill it, we destroy it, and we get out quick, right? But women, they, you guys generally see shopping as a task to be experienced, right? I mean, it's an experience to be enjoyed. We don't get that, and we don't understand that. I remember the first time I went shopping with Karen when we were newly, newlyweds, and so she needed some red blouse, and, and so we went into the first store, and guess what? They had a red blouse, and I'm like, hey, we're good to go, let's go, and she's like... Oh, no. We got to go to every store in the mall. And we got to make sure this is the very best red blouse, and we may need to stop and have lunch at the food. It's an all day deal. You know that, right? And so, uh, men are, uh, women are like loyal to one channel, and uh, men are like channel changers because we're worried we're going to miss something and and men communicate by facts and women communicate by feeling and so Ephesians tells us when you start looking at this Ephesians 5 tells us that 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 men need honor and respect and 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 women need in the marriage women need love they need to know that they're loved they need to know that they're safe and they need to know that they're secure in the relationship and fact is when you look at studies you find that the man's number one need in marriage is honor and respect. 
Now, I know some of you probably thought I was going to say something else. This is number one need. That's actually number two, and it's a close number two. (laughs) A man in the marriage needs honor and respect and sex. Now, when you look at the surveys that women have taken over the years, their number 13th need is sex, right below gardening. (laughs) Which I'm talking to God about when I get to heaven. And today what I want us to do is, is look at the scriptures and look at what the scripture says because here's the thing that's going on in our culture. and Our culture is saying there's no longer any distinctive roles between male and female. None. But the Bible says this. The Bible says that we don't get our cues. We don't get our values from the, war, the world. The Bible says that we are to, to not to be conformed by the values or the 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 values of the world, but we're to be transformed by the renewing of our mind, by his word. We get our cues, we get our roles, we get how we live life through the word. And the scripture says that we're transformed, our mind is transformed by the renewing of our mind. In other words, the renewing of your mind is this, it's a change of mind that leads to a change of actions. It's a change that develops to where where you make changes. There's action that's required now listen, I know that it's a famous poem and it's been around in the Christian life for ever since I can remember. And maybe many of you have this poem on refrigerators or plaques or f- framed or whatever in your house. And so really and truly, I'm not making fun of this poem. But, but the, the danger is, is that we could live the Christian life out of balance with this poem. And the name of the poem is called Footprints in the Sand. I mean, you guys, those of you that know that poem, it's the story. In case you don't know that story, it's the poem about a man that was walking with God down the seashore. And he looks back over his life, and there are times that there were two sets of footprints, and there was a period of life that there was only one set of footprints. And so he asked the Lord, he says, what is up with that? I don't understand that. There's, there's times there's only one set of footprints. And the, the Lord looks at him and says, oh, you don't understand. That's what this, that's, those were the seasons of the life when I carried you, right? And so listen, there's been times in my life where God has carried me. There's been times in my life where I've gone through deep hurt, I've gone through deep pain, I've gone through suffering, I've gone through loss, all of those things. And there are times, right, that God carried me. And he carried me through those seasons. But can I tell you this? If you use that poem out of balance, then the Christian life life never requires action from you. Day in and day out, God is calling us and asking us to take a step of faith. So I have a poem for you this morning to kind of balance out the poem Footprints in the Sand that maybe you could take this poem and put it next to that so that you understand this concept. The name of this poem is called Butt Prints in the Sand. (laughs) And if you don't, I'm sorry, if you don't use that word in your home, then I'm not endorsing this word for home use, okay? Only for church use. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) That sounded even worse. (laughs) Anyway, let's get to the poem. Here's what... Here's what the poem says. One night I had a wondrous dream. One set of footprints there was seen, the footprints of my precious Lord. But mine were not along the shore. But then some stranger prints appeared. And I asked the Lord, what have we here? Those prints are large and round and neat. But Lord, they are too big for my feet. My child, he said in somber tones, for miles I carried you alone. I challenged you to walk in faith, but you refused and made me wait. 
you disobeyed, you would not grow. The walk of faith, you would not know. So I got tired. I got fed up. And there I dropped you on your butt. (laughs) Because in life there comes a time when one must fight and one must climb. When one must rise and, and take a stand or leave their butt prints in the sand. And so I'm telling you, there are times in the Christian life that, you know what? you got to just quit making excuses. There are times in the Christian life where you've got to take a stand. You've got to take a step of faith. That I'm telling you, and this may sound weird for a pastor to say, but sometimes in marriage, it is just not good enough. It is just not enough to continually pray that God improve my relationship. God improve my marriage. God help me and do absolutely nothing. That there is a time. When you and I need to take a step of faith and not excuse stuff away. Yes, it's important to be faithful in the Christian life. But I'm telling you, God also blesses the man and the woman that are willing to take a step of faith. Because Scripture says, as they were going. See, Ephesians 5 tells us this. Husbands, your wife has everything you need. Wives. Your husband has everything you need. I'm telling you, I've told you this, the number one problem with marriage today is selfishness. Where someone only cares about their needs, only cares about their desires, only cares about their stuff. And they never take into consideration their partner and the needs of their partner. I'm telling you, marriage is brutal to the selfish spirit. It will crush. It will destroy a a, a selfish spirit. And here's what I've learned in marriage, and here's what I've learned in life. That when selfishness dies in a marriage, that's when the marriage thrives. So this morning, I'm asking you with an open mind just to look at what Scripture says about marriage and then to take a stand, take a step, follow him. And allow him to bless you. We're going to look at Abraham and Sarah's life. Genesis chapter 12. We learn that Abraham was a Christ-like leader. Abraham led spiritually. Abraham was a Christ-like leader. Here's what the scripture says in Genesis chapter 12 verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram. Go from your country and your kindred with your father's house to a land that that I will show you. Now listen, every move is difficult. I know that there's some of you that have lived in Pueblo, Colorado like your entire life. Uh, Your circle of friends are here. Your family's here. And so you've never really lived anywhere else. Listen, I've I've moved a lot. When when I was living in Texas and and growing up, my dad worked for an oil company. And so we were moving from one oil field to the next. Every five years we moved. So we've lived all over Texas, and so I know what it is. I had to move my senior year of high school. That was just brutal for me because I'd built friends and relationships and sports and all of that other stuff, and then my dad gets transferred uh, hundreds of miles away. To, and so maybe you don't know what it's like to move, but I am telling you, it is brutal. And it was really difficult for Abraham. Abraham's a senior citizen. He's around 70 years of age. He's very wealthy. He has a lot of security. He has family. He has friends around him. All of his comfort factors are around him, right? And so God asked him to move. And so what even made this move even more difficult was that the place that he was moving to was uncertain. In other words, he didn't know where he was moving. God told him, Abraham, 
you follow me and, and you move and you move to a land that I will show you. So, so he didn't know where his destination was. And Hebrews 11 writes about Abraham. And in verse 8, here's what the scripture says. By faith, Abraham... So here we go. By faith, Abraham did what? By faith, Abraham obeyed. By faith, Abraham took a stand. By faith, Abraham took a step. And it was as he was going, as they were going, that God blessed him. There's many of you that are missing blessings in your life and blessings in your relationships and blessings in your marriage because guess what? You refuse to take that step. You refuse to, to line your life up to what Scripture says. It says, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place there, there was to receive. So there you go. To a place to where he was going to receive what? Receive a blessing, receive an inheritance, receive what was his. I'm telling you. And there are some people that are marriages and relationships that are missing a blessing because they just refuse. They're leaving butt prints in the sand. And he went out not knowing where he was going. And so you have to ask yourself, where is Sarah in all this? Well, that's his wife, and it, uh, it affected her. Verse 5. And so Abram took Sarah, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their, their possessions that they had gathered and, and the people that they had acquired in Haran. And they set out to go to a land of Canaan and where they came to the land of Canaan. And so obviously Abraham went to Sarah and says, God's told us that we need to move and we need to move to a land that we don't know where. And, and so Sarah was affected by this, right? And she obviously had some input. And, but, you know, here's the crazy thing about this story. It doesn't say that God got Abraham and Sarah together and spoke to both of them. It doesn't even say that God spoke to Sarah and says, this is what I'm asking you husband to do because Abraham was a delegated leader. He was a spiritual leader of his house. And the Bible says that Abraham spoke or God spoke to Abraham. And leadership, when we just look at the issue of leadership, leadership is not being the decision maker all of the time. It's not like the boss that's barking out orders and just is so demanding and legalistic and harsh. Leadership is having the ability to know where you're going and being able to articulate where you're going and get people to follow you. I mean, a, a leader is someone that knows what God has called them to do or knows where they're headed, and they're able to, able to articulate that in a compelling vision to others. And, but Abraham, Abraham doesn't even know where he's going. And we don't know what the conversation was like in their home. But we know that Sarah followed him. And why is that? You know what I believe? I believe that Abraham had so many years in their marriage that his wife knew she followed God. He heard from God. That he opened up his word and that he read it and he applied it to his life. That when her husband, Abraham, came to her and said, God spoke to me and we're to move, that's all she needed to hear. 
because she knew he was a spiritual leader. Hebrews 11.10 says this, for he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and was builder uh, is God. And so, you know, men, our first responsibility is to be the spiritual leader of our, of our home. And, and I'm telling you, that's not a very popular concept today. And, but the scripture is just so clear in Ephesians that there's a, there's a delegated leader, there's a designated leader. And so, you know, and so people could ask, and, and why, why did God say this in his word? I mean, why did, why did God make the husband the leader? Why didn't God make the wife the leader? Um, why didn't God make it a 50-50 partnership? Or why didn't God say this, like, during premarital counseling, why don't you guys take an IQ test? And whoever's the smartest gets to be the leader. I don't know why, but I do know this. God's a God of order. God's a God of, of, of organization. God's a God of created order. And I know this, for marriage to work, in fact, is everything that God has created. Whether it's the church, whether it's marriage, whether it's, whether, whether it's the government, whether, whatever it is. That there's a created order. I mean, it's not discrimination. I mean, it's like a football coach that designates a player, the quarterback, that calls the plays in the huddle. That receives the plays from the coach that calls the... Can you imagine the chaos that would go on in a football game in a huddle? If everybody in the huddle could, like, call the plays? Can you imagine the arguments and the discussions? I mean, in a corporation, there's not a co-presidency. Why is that? Because if those two people disagree, it would be so destructive. It would be so divisive for the organization. The organization would no longer be effective. And so when God created the the foundation of our society, when God created marriage, he delegated a, a leader and he established a leader. And so... And so God has wired men differently than women and women differently than men. And, and you know, men, we're, we're competitive, right? And so we're not happy unless we think we're the, the leader of our home, right? And so that whole deal, because of competition and being competitive, the way God's wired us. I had a friend that took his wife fishing a couple of weeks ago, and he says, you know what? And, and all he did was complain. He's like, I took my wife fishing, and, and you know what? She used the wrong kind of bait. She, she threw the line out at the wrong place. She reeled the line in too fast. She talked way too That's all she did, talk, talk, talk. She talked too much. Oh, and she caught more fish than me. <laughs> and he was aggravating. He was like, mad, why? Because men are competitive. I mean, men get that. And so, so the Scripture says about this issue that, that we're to be men, Christ-like leaders. Verse 23 out of Ephesians 5 says, For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, as himself, it is saved, his Savior. In other words, that Christ led with positive influence. And Christ did not sit up in heaven and bark out commands. Christ didn't sit out command, up in heaven and, and make huge demands. I mean, he took the, the he took the initiative, and it says he humbled himself and he took on flesh and he did what he dwelt among us and he built relationships and he got to know us and then he said, he said, follow me. And so, men, we have a God-given responsibility to be invested in the home and invested in relationships and what we're to lead by example and we're to lead by integrity and compassion and and with temperance and. And one of the biggest problems in our society is passive husbands in the home. And, and I get that. I mean, business leaders, I mean, you're making decisions all day long. And the last thing you want to do is come home and, 
and take on more responsibility and take on more decisions. And man, so many times the easiest thing to do is to let our wives deal with it. Let's tell them to handle it and not even touch it, not even be a part of it. And, and, and can I confess to you that's that's my temptation also. Man, I lead all day long. Everything in ministry is emotional. Everything. People accepting Christ, that's emotional. People losing their lives and getting cancer and going through difficulty, that's emotional. And so I'll confess to you, it, it's my temptation too because I'm married to Karen who is, is, man, she's bright and she's smart and she's efficient and she's effective and she's a hard worker and she's organized and she's efficient. And so the easiest thing to do would be just to get away from it and just tell her to deal with it and handle it. But, man, God has called us to lead. And they, they need that. They need us to be involved in the home. You know, I've often wondered, you know, like the stories are told about Indians that, that get names based upon what they do, like dancing with wolves and other stuff. I've often wondered, what would be the names Karen would give me? Sits on couch. <laughs> Stares at his laptop, reads books, plays golf, talks about golf, watches golf. Wives. What names would you give for your husbands? Because Scripture says that husbands, men are, love their wives as if their own bodies. And when you look at you look at Jesus, it was a sacrificial love. I mean, it, he took on flesh and he humbled himself. And it carried him all the way to the cross. Christ loved us. Man, I'm so thankful with unconditional love. Watch this, verse 26 out of Ephesians 5. That he may sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. She may be holy and without blemish. Aren't you glad that God did not demand that we be perfect before he loved us? Aren't you glad that the scripture says that while we were still sinners, he loved us, but he brings us into a relationship with, us, with him and he forgives us and he washes away our sins and husbands... Scripture says, love your wife just as they are. reason we had so much difficulty when Karen and I first got married, because I was spending all of my time trying to change her so that my dysfunctional family would approve of her. But the Scripture says, husbands, love your wife just as she is. And Pastor Friend was traveling, and he was traveling through, traveling through Texas, and, and, he, and he, he likes to eat at, like, truck stops for whatever reason. And so uh, he stopped in a truck stop and went in, and, and uh, the, the waitress was, you know, rough around the edges, as he would say. And, and so she was serving him, and he, he's relational. He wanted to build a relate, just have a conversation with her. And so he noticed on her arm was a tattoo that said, Charlie. And so he looked at her and he says, hey, how's Charlie? And she goes, oh, that. 
She says, you know, that I was high and that was a one-night stand and it's pretty embarrassing. And, and, uh, but now, I'm married to a really great guy named Robert. It was kind of an awkward moment, right? And so my pastor friend looked at her and says, well, what does Robert think about that? She goes, ah, when I explained it to him, I honestly don't think he sees it any longer. I don't even think he notices it. But Christ's love for us looked past our scars and looked past our imperfections and brought us into a relationship with him. Husbands, we are to love our wives Man, just as they are. First Peter 3, 7 says this, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Until we're to learn, yeah, we're confused a lot of the time, and we don't know sometimes what you guys want. I mean, you want us to be strong and sensitive, and we just don't know when. <laughs> we don't know when we're supposed to be strong and when we're supposed to be sensitive. You want us to listen and talk, and guess what? We don't know when. We don't know when we're just supposed to sit there and listen and not say a word, just, you know, just track with you. And then we don't know when those times are that we're supposed to talk. I mean, we're constantly confused. We're challenged in this area. But we're to live with them in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as a weaker vessel. In other words, we can can crush them. And we can hurt you really easily. Since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, not only is she your wife, but she's your sister in Christ. And guess what? And you do this because your prayers could be hindered. God puts that relationship so critical that it affects your prayer life. In other words, you treat her with gentleness and be considerate of her and you learn to honor her and you learn to put her on a pedestal. And I mean, when it's raining, you let her off in front of the church and don't make her park the car. Or maybe you open a door for her and at least let her get both legs in before you pull away. <laughs> or you tell her how beautiful she is. You compliment her. You tell her how wonderful she is. You remember anniversaries. You write her a note, send her an email, send her a text. Tell her how special she is. You hug her expecting nothing in return. You don't make fun of her. I'm telling you. Some of these I've learned the hard way, and I, you know, I've always been really transparent with you guys. In, in my early days in preaching and with my sense of humor, if it's, if it's funny, I'm saying it. And there were times I used illustrations that did not publicly compliment my wife. And everybody laughed, but it came at her expense. But I know men, whether it's with couples hanging out together or just men, they will say things about their wives, and it may be funny, but it does not honor her. Your wife's name should be safe on your lips was Sarah. She was a Christ-like responder. And she responded to Abraham. You see, men, we like being the leader, 
But we like to talk about being a leadership of power. But this is not talking about a leadership of power. It's talking about a leadership of love. And Sarah was a Christ-like responder. And so the question is, what was her response? How did she respond to this announcement of we're moving and I don't know where we're going? And, you know, we know that she didn't say, well, you know what? There's no way I'm moving with you. Do you think I'm following you there? You think you've got to be nuts. You, You don't know where you're going. She didn't give her less to demand. She didn't criticize. She didn't begin to demean him or complain. We just know that she followed him. And so, you know the interesting thing about their marriage and their relationship? When you look at Scripture, you never find a time that she was critical, resentful, or bitterness. You know what will destroy your marriage? Bitterness. It will not only destroy your marriage, but it will destroy every, it will destroy your family. When you are resentful and bitter with your mate, it will hurt your kids. It will hurt generations to come because Scripture says what? Be careful. Do not let the root of bitterness grow up because what? It will defile many. You never see any of that. You never see resentfulness. You never see that she was bitter where she was complaining about her husband to the kids or everybody else. And she was talking about anything but anything negative about him. She talked positive about him. 1 Peter 3, 4, and 6 talks about this issue. It says, but let your adorning be hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. And we'll get that. We'll understand that in just a second. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. We may want to ponder that just for a moment in case any of you would like to refer to your husbands as Lord. Maybe not. In all services, they got the same reaction. Maybe not. That's important. Watch this. And you are her children if you do, do good and do not fear anything frightening. See, men don't like to be told that they need to sacrifice for their family. That kind of goes against their carnal nature. And women don't like to be told that they're to be submissive because that goes against their carnal nature. And that's why we talked about it takes God to have a marriage the way God intended a marriage to work and to be. But it's also important for us to understand what it literally means, what it really means to be submissive, because there's a lot of things out there that truly are not. When people start talking about being submissive, it's not a biblical model, okay? So it does not mean to be submissive. It does not mean that you're to be a doormat. It does not mean that you're to be a doormat, uh, that you're to be a wallflower. It does not mean that you don't have any voice. You cannot express your opinions. Uh, You can't bring anything to the relationship. It does not mean any of that. Fact is, when you look at Abraham's and Sarah's life, you realize that Sarah spoke into their relationship that saved Abraham a lot of pain. She was was a strong-willed woman. She was very accomplished. She was very bright. Genesis chapter 21. Sarah, uh, Sarah has an issue in the home, the way Ishmael and Hagar is being treated. We don't have time to go through the whole story. And so all of a sudden she goes to Abraham and she speaks to Abraham about this issue. Verse, verse 11, verse 10 in, in 21. So she said to Abraham, cast out this slave woman with her son. For the son of the slave woman shall not be our heir with my son Isaac. Seriously, that's the same woman that obeyed him? That's the same woman that called him Lord. And in verse 11 it says, and, the very thing, and this very thing was displeasing to Abraham. I guess so. But later in the story, God came to Abraham and said, Abraham, your wife is telling you the truth. 
your wife is right. You need to do what she said. And Abraham did it. See, submit not only means to fall in line with, to have the same goals and vision and passion. Submit also means this, to bring a a contribution. When I submit a bid, or when you submit a bid to purchase a house or a piece of property, you are submitting that bid along with what? Resources, along with money. I mean, submit means to share in resources. Submit also means to, to, to be involved together. I cannot tell you how much pain and hurt Karen has saved me when she has spoken into my life. Because here's the deal. We all have blind spots. Every one of us has blind spots. You know, blind spots are a lot like bad breath. Everybody knows you got it but you. Have you ever told your spouse, you know, this is is something that I just missed? And like, seriously? Really? I've known that. And you see it. And so submissiveness and submit does not mean that you're a doormat, but it means that you acknowledge and you respect God's delegated authority for, for, for relationships. First uh, Peter 3, 1 and 2, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, that they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. In other words, you look in Christ. Man, when we study the life of Christ, and we won't read all the verses of Philippians chapter 2, that Christ was also a Christ-like responder. He was a leader. But he was also a responder. Watch this. Having the same mind among yourselves as taught Christ, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. I mean, he humbled himself, but emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. When you look at Christ's life, he submitted himself voluntarily to the will of the Father. I mean, he humbled himself, even though Scripture says by him all things were made in in Colossians, that he humbled himself and he voluntarily submitted himself to the will of the Father. He voluntarily submitted himself to the the will of the Father for salvation of of the world. And when a wife submits, she is not in fear. Nowhere in the Bible... Does it say that women are to submit to all men? Boy, when you read Scripture, there were women that were judges. There were women that were, were, were strong leaders. There were women that accomplished a lot of things. And the Scripture says that you're only submissive to your own husbands. And Jesus submitted himself joyfully and voluntarily. And so women do not submit grudgingly or in bitterness or by complaining. I mean, second, uh, Philippians 2.9 says, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. It is not degrading to honor her. Here's what I've learned. When the husband is a Christ-like leader and the wife is a Christ-like responder, there are no longer arguments in the home of who's in authority. And who's in charge. It just works. But when the husband is rebellious and the wife is rebellious, there are all kinds of problems in the home.
this morning, I'm asking you, I'm begging you, don't leave butt prints in the sand. My platform for ministry is being the spiritual leader in the home. It's the home first. That's why the scripture says that I cannot be a spiritual leader. Anyone cannot be a spiritual leader in the church until they are first a true spiritual leader in the home. Nothing is more important, husbands, than being the spiritual leader in the home, being the initiator. And nothing is more important, wives, learning to be a Christ-like responder. This morning, I am asking you out of love, no guilt, no condemnation. I am asking you to take a step of faith. For those of you this morning that are, are living together and you're asking God to bless that relationship and bless that marriage, I just need to tell you from his word, he will not bless what he is against. He will not bless what he has already said in scripture, will not work. And so I am asking you and I'm begging you to take that step of faith and just see what he does. The number one excuse we get when we talk to couples about this issue of living together and getting married, they always come back and say, well, we'll get married when we can afford it. Well, you cannot afford not to get married. So here's what we'll do. If you're in that situation and you'd like to get married, then we'll do weddings all week long. And we'll do them for free. And we'll do them in front of the fireplace. And you just go down, you get your marriage license. I don't know, it's 15, 20 bucks. And, you know, if you, can't, if you can't afford that, I'll personally pay it. I just believe in this so much. And guess what? It is more important that God honors your marriage than the celebration and all the money and all the other stuff. And then when you're ready, get married, do a celebration. Five or six years ago, we had a couple that came to our church, and they'd been living together. They met Christ, and, and they got baptized, and then God convicted them uh, about the issue of living together. They, and so, so they came to us, and I did a, I did a wedding for them because they could not afford it in front of the fireplace. And we did their wedding. They honored God, and a year later, they did a huge celebration. Walked down the aisle, the dress, the reception, the whole deal, pictures, everything. One of the most emotional weddings I've ever done. Man, if you are living together, just trust God. Take a step of faith. For those of you that are married, would you take a step of faith in any area of your relationship, your marriage, that is not in line with his word? Would you adjust your marriage and see what he'll do?